Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy CRNA Moms. If you are a CRNA, a busy mom, or a busy CRNA mom, or a woman looking to permanently lose weight, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Brittany Kolb from Weight Loss by Brittany. I'm a busy CRNA mom and certified life and weight loss coach. And like you, I not so long ago struggled to lose the weight and keep it off. But once I shifted my mindset and learned how I could use my brain to reach my weight loss goals, everything changed. I was able to lose 40 pounds and knew I had to share the secret with others. I'm here to help you achieve your permanent weight loss goals by uncovering what might be holding you back. Let's get started. Hey guys. Okay. Welcome to my podcast today. I'm so glad you were here. This topic got me like absolutely fired up and I was like, I've got to do a podcast on this book because it was just amazing. So just to tell you kind of like how I ended up getting here. So I am like well over a year post weight loss at this point. I, and I am beyond confident in my ability to stay at this weight. Like this is who I am now. Like food is easy. Travel is easy. Life is easy. Everything is easy when it comes to maintaining this weight. My desire for food is deconditioned. I am fat adapted. So my body knows how to handle hunger and I no longer emotionally eat Okay. And this is all possible for you, by the way, with coaching and stuff. So I'm now able to, I now have some capacity to utilize some mental energy to start working on some other aspects of my life. And parenting, of course, is an ongoing learning process that really requires like a lot of regrounding for me. Um, For me personally, also a lot of life coaching, um, a social support system and intentional thought. So right now I want to give some additional intentional thought on the relationship that my son has with food and helping him to continue to become a healthy and happy eater. And listen, I am in no way an expert on this topic as evidenced by my first podcast, but, um, Yeah, but I read this book and I was like, I got to share this. So if you are not here yet, I just want to start with this. Like if you are not here yet, do not worry. Do not be like, oh, I've got to like change my eating habits and my whole family's eating habits all at the same time. Like if we're trying to do this all at once, you're gonna, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. Just like give yourself some grace. Like go back to my first two podcasts and get your head wrapped around finding foods that you love and help you lose weight and start thinking about just that very basic piece of that. That's like the easy piece start to get your head wrapped around that and employ some of the tactics I described, like having a meal that includes like, you know, a viable option for your son or for your kid. (laughs) Sorry, I default to that because my kid, of course, is a boy. Um, A viable option for you, a viable option for, um, you know, your kid and then a viable and then another option that like you also enjoy, but also your kid might enjoy that you can expose him to. And, um, that way, you know, everyone wins, everyone has a plan for food that's going to nourish their body and your child's getting exposed to a lot of things. And then you can kind of utilize some of the tools that I describe it from this book, um, to kind of help propel you and move you forward when your brain is ready. But like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. I'm going to post again in this, like one of my blog posts, I've got like a whole bunch of recipes that I think are just really, really great for family meal times and like how I kind of incorporate like on protocol food, um, with family meal times. And again, food is just one aspect of this whole thing. Like food is one aspect you can, like I've said, you can drop sugar and flour and lose weight for sure. But if you're not handling the emotional eating component of all of this um, and decondition your desire for food. Um, None of this will be permanent, but the food piece is super important. So just 
kind of getting getting that there. So I will post a lot of the tips that I utilize from this book, or a lot of you can utilize a lot of the tips that I got from this book, and I'm going to explain you in this podcast moving forward. Only when you're ready and can kind of wrap your head around exploring something new. Like I said, I am like a year out at this point, and I'm like, okay, what I'm doing right now, you know, is not necessarily moving my son forward. Like I'm modeling a lot of really good behaviors. I'm exposing him to a lot of really great foods, but like I've kind of feel like I've fallen short in like taking that next step to him becoming like a happy, healthy, adventurous eater, you know, but I first had to change my relationship with food. My husband had to change his relationship with food before we could really start practicing what we preach. And I think, you know, for me, this is really unnatural. Like it's unnatural teaching healthy eating habits and developing a positive culture around food since it's something that I literally had to train my brain to do through coaching. Like I had to create these neural pathways so that I could eat nourishing fuel for my body when I'm hungry and stop when I'm satisfied and sometimes for pleasure. But none of this came naturally to me. Hence my lifelong struggle with my weight. So it's not surprising when it came to like instilling this in my son, it it hasn't been very smooth. It hasn't been a very natural process and it's going to take some intentional thought. And so I was finding him resistant to trying new things, kind of stuck in the same rotation of food, which is okay in a lot of ways. Like, you know, finding like some constraint in your meals is certainly good, but you also, it's not okay when it's a consistent challenge for him to want to eat more than like mac and cheese, peanut butter and jelly and carrots. So like what I was doing was not really allowing him to blossom into a curious, brave, adventurous eater that I would like for him to hopefully become. So like I needed tools, I needed resources, I needed guidance. And one of my Montessori school book club friends suggested this book and it's called, I have it right in front of me, called Raising a Happy and Healthy Eater. It's by um, Dr. Namali Fernando. Uh, she's a medical doctor and doc- and uh, Melanie Podic. I probably messed up both of their names, but I think um, Dr. Fernando is, she calls herself Dr. Yum. They, I think, are locally located here in Richmond. If I do, I know at least in Virginia, um, they have courses. They have this book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, they have courses you can take that are like hour long month, like hour long weekly courses that you can take as a parent if you want to start like learning more about these tools. And I think they're like wildly cheap. I want to say like five bucks. And because she's just so passionate about instilling healthy eating habits in children early on, because of course, if we can, you know, have our kids eat fuel, good, nutritious, energizing food, we'll be able to help them ward off like long, a long life of potential health issues and other issues related to their weight. And so she like paints this beautiful picture of everything and why she does what she does. And I just think it's so amazing. It's like, here I am trying to like undo years of belief systems and emotional eating and modeling and, and all these thought patterns that we've created, you know, and she's trying to like, to head it off from the start, which I just think is so, 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 so cool. So they've got tons of resources. I think they even do camps and kitchens and you can like visit their office. I mean, you guys have, uh, I wish I had read this book pregnant. I mean, honestly, like it is so good. It has great guidance, great tips, great tools, great resources. And it's framed the information in a way that was so relatable with like so many other parenting analogies. And so again, if you are 
a, if you are pregnant, I think you should read this book. If you have a tiny person you're trying to introduce to foods, like don't just read it once, like read it in their current stage and then like reread it again and then read it when they get older and then just keep moving forward because each stage revisits chapters that are applicable to you and it's so good. So I'm going to put the information about this book in the show notes because it's just amazing. So in this podcast, I'm going to tell you some of the key takeaways that I got from this book and how I'm going to try to implement these things moving forward. I'm also going to explain where I am in my current state of affairs so you can understand that I am like not perfect. This is like where I am now, where I want to be and how I want to get there and like the river of misery that it will take to get to that point. <laughs> okay. Like I am obviously not a um, perfect role model for this. And I just want you to know that like we all are starting from somewhere. And this is where I'm starting. So I definitely skipped over a lot of the baby stuff, but there was some great information on positioning for feeding for infants and toddlers that makes perfect sense. Like the authors mentioned how to correctly position a baby to try solids and they related it to trying like think of yourself trying to eat on a bar bench with no back and no um, foot support and then trying to like balance yourself and also use one hand to like try to eat some soup. Like and how challenging that is for your body physically. And so they've got great tips on how to position your baby, which is such a great idea. So, of course, and I know you're going to be like, well, this is obvious, but they talk a lot about making food fun. And they talk about like like how you can, you know, if you're trying to introduce a new vegetable, like they talk about jicama. And a lot of my clients have talked about jicama. And to be honest, I've never tried it. So I'm going to, I'm like inspired to try it. And she's like, they're like, okay, well see who at the table can make the loudest crunch with this jicama or like making like your jicama sticks into like a little tower or like a little like house or something or making, you know, funny shapes out of these things or relating broccoli to little trees. And I know it sounds so simple and I'm like, duh, I knew that. But like when you're post call and you're tired and you're feeding your family, this is like the last thing you think about, but it can make such a huge difference in the ambiance of the meal when like you're like laughing and giggling about something, you know, silly related to crunching a vegetable. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, do I do this? No. Could I definitely do this? Like we had carrots and pesto last night and I was like, well, in retrospect, what I should have done is I should have turned those carrot sticks into like a cool little triangle or something or like a funny face and like, you know, it would have made the whole experience enjoyable. Would he have eaten them? I'm not really sure, but at least he would have, you know, like maybe gotten a giggle out of them or something, right? Um, so then they talk about, you know, when my kid doesn't want to eat something like healthy, trying not to fill them with empty calories so you can feel better that they ate something. And I did this for so long, like especially in that two to three-year-old range. Because remember, my kid was about three when I started like really changing my relationship with food. So you know, we did not start any of this stuff. He's four and a half now until like, you know, really about a year ago, did we like really have a ton of vegetables and fruits in my house all the time and, um, or over a year ago at this point. But like, you know, it, this has all been like while he's kind of blossomed into this person. And so I remember just being like, well, he's got to eat something. He's got to eat something. So we should definitely give him some Cheerios. And it's like, it's like they kind of want you to calm your nervous system and just trust that like these foods, which are usually made of refined carbohydrates and have lots of added sugar, they're not going to nourish your kid for the long term. And it really clouds their ability to know if they're hungry or satisfied and they're designed to be overeaten. They like mentioned this all in the book. So like don't don't let your fear of them not eating something like 
go to like this place of, of like, Oh, I need to give them something unhealthy instead. Like not that Cheerios are unhealthy. Did I just use that example? I don't know that that was really a great example, but, um, just like, don't, don't go that far. Um, and then anticipate the fact that your kid is going to go through periods, ebbs and flows of just not being as hungry. And it happens often. Um, and then again, don't resort to like old reliables, just like stick with the plan of like, they lay out this really great plan of just like food introduction and like being consistent and, um, all of these things. And it's like, if, as long as they're doing okay on the growth, on the growth curve, like stay the course and like keep moving forward. And again, for us, we'd be like, oh, well, you know, we tried asparagus once. He just doesn't like it. I probably shouldn't offer that again because it's a big waste of time. Or here's, you know, here's what I would do. I would try to make this like whole meal that was like catered towards my son, like liking it and me being having something that like I wasn't really like super excited about when certainly really wouldn't help me lose weight. But like rather than doing that, like just continuing to introduce them to something like new all the time. Of course, like if you're starting from this book, like square one, like you can set yourself up from the success from the get go. But if you're in my position where it's like, well, I haven't been doing like straight up family meals all the time, like just being okay. Like I said, like with the, you know, the three options kind of, and just making sure everyone's okay. And then slowly, gradually like moving towards as they start getting used to foods. Um, making those more of the main course, making it more of everybody's eating this exact same thing all the time. Um, so there's that piece. Okay. And then when it seems like they resist everything, don't get discouraged to continue to expose your kids to a lot of different foods repeatedly. This was such an interesting fact in this book. It was like repeated exposure is key. Apparently it can take 15 exposures to a food to be willing to eat it. And it doesn't have to be large portions, right? So I would be like making this whole meal, hoping he would enjoy this meal. But really I could have just been making like enough to be like a side and like also like it's something I would enjoy and just keep exposing and exposing and exposing. Um, like it can be like one piece of a purple green bean or like one cherry tomato on a plate. Just keep exposing them. And if they at first, like if just stays on the plate, like consider that a win. And then the next time they might look at it a little closer. And then like the next time they might like hold it in their hand. And then the mic the next time they might like give it a lick. Each time the child gets closer and closer to eating the food, even if you put the food on the plate and it just stays there, like consider it a win. Um, which is like, again, in my mind, I was, I would always be like, well, they just don't like it. So I'm just not going to worry about it. But like, it's, it just is so funny, right? Because when we think about our brains, it's like, we have to keep teaching it. We have to teach it to like eggplant. We have to teach it to like green beans. We have to teach it to like these new things. Like it's not going to be like an automatic thing. And of course, refined carbohydrates and things with added sugar, your brain is going to love. And these little kid brains are going to love too, right? They're going to be like, yeah, oh, I definitely want that for like the dopamine reward it gets and the, and the incredible hyper palatable like taste that it gets, right? But like learning to enjoy the color and the texture and the smells of these like other natural foods you know, it, it's especially when you've been exposed to all these other foods, it's just it's just going to be another process that your brain is going to have to learn. Um, and then they also mention, which I think this is great because I know a lot of us are like really just uh, food waste, like, oh, I just don't like it. They mentioned, don't worry about it. Like, even though a lot of us are conditioned to worried about food waste, food served is a purpose. It was a part of a learning experience. And like, even if it goes in the compost, it's not at all a loss, which I just think is like, such a great 
way to kind of reframe it. Like, yeah, they, at least in this moment, they got exposed, they got to see it. They got to look at it. They got to maybe smell it. They got to watch us eat it. They got to, you know, watch our interaction, eat it. Like that's okay. And again, 15 exposures, like, oh, that's just mind blowing to me. Like that's a lot of exposures. So, um, Okay. So tips on undesirable behavior. Oh yes. So in this, there's a section of this book that I feel like is a cross between like Janet Lansbury meets the kitchen. And it's like when an undesirable behavior, like a utensil throwing, food dropping, food spitting occurs, they recommend just giving it like no power, like wipe up the spit. Don't even pay attention to the food or utensil until the, like the meal is over. Like when you pay attention or make a big fuss or pick things up, the behavior gets rewarded in a way like that the kid knows like, oh, well, I'm going to get attention if this happens and uh, you're going to pick up the food and you're going to get me a new spoon, whatever it is. And the behavior will never stops. But if you just like kind of are like very like stoic, unruffled, as Janet Linsbury says, and just move forward smoothly, eventually the behavior will stop. So real quick, I'm actually going to read you guys a quick excerpt from this book because I just think it is so great. And I think it is very um, relatable to coaching as well. So, all right. I want to give full credit to the authors here because this is like pages 146 to like 149 of this book. And it's like, be careful of, again, Raising a Happy Healthy Eater by Namali Fernando and Melanie Paddock, Dr. Melanie Fernando, aka Dr. Yum. And, um, Here is what she wrote. So good. If you took an intro to psychology class, you may remember B.F. Skinner. Skinner was an American psychologist who was an expert on human behavior and coined the term contingency of reinforcement. Coach Mel uses Skinner's principles in her work, helping children learning to eat and encourages parents to use the same principles in parenting. The key to creating positive behaviors in children is to use consistent reinforcement until the behavior becomes second nature. The younger two-year-old is aware of consequences now, but may have trouble remembering exactly what the consequence was when it occurred just five minutes ago. Her attention to her environment is fleeting at times, and she is easily distracted. This impacts safety. She isn't likely to remember that you just said no when she ran into your, into your neighborhood street. And when she is distracted, she'll wander into the street again. It is easy to be consistent when it comes to safety habits. In the case of running into the street, it's never okay. Yet consistency around mealtime behaviors may not always be practiced. Is that a big deal? Yep. And here's why. Contingency of reinforcement is a term used to to describe the relationship among three components. Number one, the occasion or incidents that cues the behavior, the behavior itself, the consequences following the behavior. Keep in mind that a behavior can be desired. Your child happily eats carrots or undesired. Your child (laughs) spits carrots in your face. No matter which one, the ultimate question is what happened just before and just after the behavior? The behavior of spitting is a good example. What happened just before he spit those carrots? And then what happened after he spit them in your face? Did you make a scene or break out laughing? Or did you calmly wipe the carrots off your face and simply turn away? The minimal reaction is actually a consequence. And when it comes to behaviors like spitting, it's a good one. And here's why. 
Throughout our days as parenting, you and your child are exchanging millions of behaviors and reactions, consequences to those behaviors. As mentioned above, parents tend to be the most consistent reinforcing the desired behaviors when it comes to safety. For example, when you put your screaming toddler in his car seat and buckle him up, you give him protest you give his protest very minimal attention, if any at all. There is not an option when riding in a car other than being in a car seat. Your toddler quickly learns and soon quickly learns that and soon learns to quit fussing about getting buckled in. The occasion that cued the fussing was likely you're picking him up and putting him in the car seat. The behavior was crying. The consequence was ignoring and buckling him anyway. By ignoring the crying, you are you help the behavior fade away and now he can travel in his seat like a champ. That's parenting using the Skinner model. Most importantly, what makes it work so well is parenting with consistency. Let's talk about when it doesn't work in your favor, when there is no consistency. By consistent, we mean the same reaction needs to occur at least 80% of the time. If you're establishing a new rule, then we suggest 100% consistency during the learning process and 80% consistency after the rule has been established and practiced. Consistency creates habits, good and bad habits. Sometimes in life, it's hard to be consistent. Um, Picture this, and I feel like I have given this example like multiple times in all of my stuff, but uh, they lay it out so well in here. So here we go. Picture this. You're in the checkout lane at the grocery store and your two-year-old is starting to melt down. She spies the candy intentionally displayed at the checkout line for that impulsive last-minute purchase. She begins to whine, candy please, and you respond, no, sweetie, we're almost done down here, and then we're going to go home for some yummy lunch. But she's cranky and tired, and her behavior escalates, want candy, and she starts to cry. Now, everyone is staring at you, from the clerk behind the counter to the impatient businessman standing in line behind you, me want candy, she declares loudly and sobbing, fine, here, just stop crying. You whisper under your breath, grabbing the nearest M&Ms and pushing it into her little hands. Magically, the crying stops. Feeling relieved and guilty all at the same time, you know what you were supposed to do. Let her cry. Let her stay consistent with no. But oh, the pressure and those people staring at you with their judgy eyes. Hey, we get it. We really do. But here's the problem. Do that a few more times and now you've got a toddler who doesn't just whine when she sees the candy. She immediately jumps to screaming, me want candy, and having a full-fledged meltdown. That's because the behavior that was reinforced, that's what got her the candy. So I just want you to think about this. Like this is the way they explain this in this book and how you deal with your toddlers with food and reinforcing behaviors is exactly how your primitive brain acts when um, you are trying to give into a desire for food. Like when it's like trying to convince you like, this food is a really, really good idea, even though it wasn't planned, even though you aren't hungry, you know, even though it really wasn't something that you actually thought you wanted. Um, and the more and more we reinforce this behavior by giving into that desire, just like when we reinforce the behavior by giving into our two-year-olds, the stronger this pathway become, the behavior will continue. It will never stop. It won't stop for your kid and it won't stop for you. Okay. So this was like, when I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh, this like totally relates to coaching. It's like such a great connection piece. So I hope you get something from that. I'm not sure, you know, anyway. So let's see, what does this also say? Um, cause I wanted to keep reading some of this as well. Um, 
When you have a two-year-old, parenting with consistency is vital in order to manage mealtime behaviors. Be careful what behaviors you reinforce through unintentional consequences like giving your in when your child escalates. When you give in, even a few times, your child will quickly learn to rev up her behavior in order to get what she wants. Without realizing it, you can consistently reinforce undesired behaviors like whining, or you can be intentionally consistent by not responding, and the whining will fade away. Um, giving your child the words she can use for next time is helpful. Readdress this when your child has calmed down and model words by parenting with compassion. So like, again, if something happens, like your job is to be unimpressed. Your job is to be like, oh, not a big deal. No big deal. Like just, yep. I like give it, give it no power. Give whatever the, um, whatever the negative behavior is like absolutely no power. Like, it's just, it's, it will serve you better, which I just think is so good. Um, okay. So what else do I have here? I wrote like four pages of typed notes on this podcast. So you guys are gonna be like, this is the longest podcast you've ever done. And you're absolutely right. Um, so how to talk about food when your child isn't so sure. When my kid says, and he says this straight up, he's like, ugh, I'm not eating that, pointing to one portion of the meal we're introducing. I, the, the authors in this say, just like, be very matter of fact about it. Like, Yep, we all have pesto and carrots on our plate today. Rather than saying you don't have to eat that, which is what I've always said. I've always just been like trying to be like, no pressure, not a big deal. You don't have to eat it. But like they recommend you don't say that. Just say, yep, we all have pesto and carrots and move on. Again, if it stays on the plate, that's a win. And you keep trying, you keep introducing it. We don't want to create, what they're suggesting here is like, you don't want to create anxiety about when he will, when the child will eat the food. Like, the child will learn to taste it when they're ready and there's no necessary additional pressure required from you. So I think that it's like, that's where like I was missing that. Like I kept being like, oh, you don't have to eat that. But really like they know that there's there's like a message, like it's on the plate. I'd like for you to eat it. But like just saying, yep, we all have this on our plate today. Now I will tell you a story of what happened last night. So we were having carrots and pesto and um, and there was other things too, but like, you know, my son was like, huh, that's interesting. And then my husband and I kind of started talking about the pesto. And I've got this basil clipping that has rooted. And so my, my son and I are going to plant it at some point. We've talked about it. We keep talking about it. It hasn't happened yet. But anyway, and so we were talking about the pesto. And I was like, yeah, like, you know what this pesto is made out of? Like, we were like feeling it in our fingers. And I was like licking it and smelling it and trying to be really silly with it and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is what mommy eats all the time. Like, I love it. It's a combination of like, you see that basil plant on the table right there that we're going to put in the ground that has little snippings and like can reroot and can cr- turn into a whole new plant that's going to turn, that turns into pesto. And he was like, he asked me this great question. I was like, what in the actual fuck? This is working. He was like, why would you want to grow herbs? Like, why would you want to grow basil and turn it into pesto or turn it into something else? I'm like, oh, because it like you combine it with cheese and pine nuts and oil and it creates this yummy sauce, you know? And so it spurred this conversation about how you can grow herbs to flavor your food, to make food, to like serve a, a meal with. And like, it's something that feels really good in mom's body and it really gives me a lot of energy and I and, and I enjoy it and like if we hadn't gone that far to start talking about it and to like give it you know a little bit of of um emphasis in the meal it would have never happened so I just thought that was like super cool I was like oh look at like all of these things are working so again if it's being um tolerated on the plate 
like pretty consistently because for a while there, my kid would just be like, throw it off the plate. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. So now then there's this idea they have, which is so cool of like tasting time. So that food that isn't eaten, but at least being tasted is another win. Like even if it's just licked or mouth or explored, it's better than the food being completely rejected. So they are like kind of warming up to this idea and they outline some great ways to implement this idea, like of just tasting food, but establishing the idea that we are all encouraged to taste everything on the plate. Doesn't have to, you don't have to chew it and swallow it, but just taste it. Um, it doesn't have to be eaten, like I said, and like, and that a kid that's willing to taste something might be willing to eat it sooner than later. So they of course encourage like family style meals where you're using like plates and like big bowls and like serving spoons and things like that. And we are not there yet. I don't know that we'll ever be there. Who knows? Who knows? Anything's possible, right? Um, But here was like a really great suggestion they had. Like if you're trying to introduce a new food to your kid, um, using like a big spoon for like a serving spoon and like letting them kind of serve out this meal for you. And then using a little spoon for tasting. If your kid's like, I'm not so sure about that, but I'll use this little tasting spoon. And then they can decide how much of it that they want to eat. And then they mentioned two, which I would always be like, if you want more pizza, you have to finish X. Like you have to finish this thing on your plate. And it would often result in just like complete protest and whatever. Um, they mentioned like being able to go get more food is not contingent about on all the food being eaten on the plate. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to start doing that too. And then they had this great tip on like this idea of we are, they said this, they're like, we're introducing your brain to Brussels sprouts, which is another great way to phrase it because your brain has to get you like your brain. And I think, like I said earlier in the podcast, like your brain has to get used to the look and the smell and the texture of an entirely new food and how to chew it and swallow it and whatever. Like it has to create new pathways for enjoying that food. And that really does take time. So I think just even, even phrasing it, like we're introducing your brain to Brussels sprouts. It's like such a cool idea. Um, uh, let's see what else did they write? I mean, literally I wrote so many notes on this. It was just so such a good book. Of course they recognize not instituting the clean plate club, utilizing food as rewards and, um, putting like dessert on like a pedestal. Like, and I've gone into great detail here as to how that can condition your brain negatively for the long term. All of that makes really good sense. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to go into that anymore because you all get that for sure. Um, they recommend, oh, here's a good tip from the book. They recommend having it less than 24 grams of added sugar per day. So like a teaspoon is like four grams of sugar. So like that's six teaspoons of sugar they say you shouldn't have. And so they want you to look for things that have less than five grams of added sugar per serving. And like if your kid is grocery shopping with you and they go to the cereal aisle, you can be like, hey, yeah, we can get a new cereal. You just have to look on the backs and take a, take a gander at this section that says added sugar and it has to say five or less. And then they can like have some stewardship over, you know, what it is they're choosing and like get to kind of make a game out of it, um, which I thought was really good. And then they also said another phrase that I really liked. They were like, they phrase how certain foods, full, foods are fuel for your body and make you feel good. And other foods make you feel tired and slow. Like I've always said to my son, like when he's eating mac and cheese and I'm eating like in vegetables and potatoes, he and pesto, he's like, why aren't you eating this? And I was like, that just doesn't make my body feel good. That's kind of been my like default 
um, response. But I really like this response of like, well, you know, that kind of food makes me feel tired and slow and it does actually distend my stomach. It makes me feel bloated. Um, but this concept of like, of like, yeah, this makes me feel tired and slow and it doesn't make, I guess it's like another way of saying it doesn't make my body feel good. But I think for kids, they don't want to be tired. They don't want to be slow, <laughs> right? Like they want to be fast. <laughs> so certain foods make you feel good and like energized and nourished and other foods make you feel tired and slow. And like maybe that'll help them understand a little bit more. And they will get to understand like more about why you're teaching them this. Um, then they go into, I mean, so good having your kids cook with you, grow a garden. So they know where foods come from, have them be a process in cooking and making growing food. So like in processing cooking and growing food so that it's more fun for them. Um, you know, I think for me, when I've tried to introduce my son to like cooking and stuff, I would have these ridiculous, like these expectations of like, he needs to do it like perfectly. And like, I don't want to make a mess and this is going to take longer. So I should just do it. But I have talked with my husband and I'm like, what we really should try is being patient and anticipating that things are going to take longer and things are going to be messy. And that is okay. Like tolerating that is important for fostering the learning and the growth that is going to occur as a result of this process. Like the process is more important than the end result and the time in which it is done. Like, so being able to carve out time and having no pressure and like time for them to like totally spill a whole cup of milk and make, make it not a big deal. Right. Cause we don't want to discourage them from, from doing this with us and like trying new things. Like it, it's okay. Like it was just part of the process, you know? And I think like, you do it enough and your, your tolerance is, is low and your fuse is short and you can't, you don't have the capacity to do it. Like it makes it really, really hard. So like when you can build in some time for it, I think it's like a really, really great opportunity. And I think when you approach it from the place of like, we're all just learning here and it might take a little longer and like, that's okay. Um, so again, where I was, where I'd like to be, so you understand, like, this is what this is like in my house. So, um, or I will say too, like, even if they're not cooking with you, like last night, my son, he calls it chunked up and he wants to watch TV. Well, we're like trying to find new ways to, to relax our bodies. that doesn't involve watching TV. So I was like, well, we're going to make overnight notes. Do you want help? He's like, I'm too chunked up. I'm like, oh, well, daddy will put on a cooking show for you. So he put on my son's rainbow apron and a chef's hat. And he put on this whole like Mrs. Doubtfire routine with like making overnight oats. And at first he resisted, but then he ended up being like, oh, I want to come help. And he was like giggling and laughing. And it was so, it was so great. It was like such a fun little experience for us. And so even if you're not doing it, even if they're just like kind of part of the process from a distance, and then like maybe invite them the opportunity to come in. I think it's like such a cool, cool idea. Um, again, and my husband is like some sort of like dream of a, of a man. He's just, he pulls these things out of his like tush. And I'm like, how did you like, where, where did you, how do you always have the energy to be amazing? Um, he's amazing. So anyway, uh, let's see. Okay. Mealtime TV situation. They're like, try to be sure mealtimes don't include a TV or a screen. And I will say 100% every morning, my son would watch two shows, sometimes three, and then like 
have, you know, and have his breakfast at the same time. And then we'd all have playtime together before school or my husband and my son would, because, you know, of course I am a CRNA and I'm in the OR very early. So, um, like transitioning away from that. So now we've kind of set the precedent, like you get to watch two shows, like, you know, those like 10 minute shows. And then like you decide, like if you want, you know, to eat breakfast in the middle of those shows, you can, if you want to before or after, but like two shows, like breakfast is at the counter. Like we're done with breakfast being on the couch, like breakfast is at the counter. And because the reason, and I teach my clients this, I'm like, don't be looking on your phone when you're eating. Like, don't be, you know, watching TV because you're not as mindful. You don't realize how much food you're eating. Like you can devour, I think in the book they mentioned, they're like, you can devour like a huge tub of popcorn at the movies and you don't, like, don't even remember eating it. You just don't even know. You're not even in tune with like, if you're hungry, if you're satisfied, but like when you're, the whole focus is just on eating, the act of eating, then you're just so much more mindful. Um, what else do they talk about? I'm just going to keep, oh, wow, I'm almost done. Okay. They talk a lot about how to say no. Cause you know, like being consistent and brave and compassionate with all of this, but like doing it in a way that is loving and compassionate. So you can feel good and grounded in how you're showing up. Like, it's not just like this, like, you know, like setting a boundary and being mean and nasty about it. It's like setting a boundary and being loving and compassionate about it. And she gives, they give such good examples about how to implement it. And so much of it has to be like, so much of this has to do with being consistent, holding loving boundaries and explaining it in a way that they might understand, like all of which that I plan on implementing. Like, I just felt like I, I, so much of this had to do with me not wanting to honoring boundaries because I didn't want my son to feel a certain way, right? Which we're always trying to like make them happy. Then they're never going to be happy long-term. Anyway, all of this like coaching stuff, which is just, you know, it's like, it has to do with me not wanting to have, have him feel negatively because I feel like that'll reflect negatively as on me as a parent. And like it, it, but that's, I'm not getting into that right now, but like, that's where my brain goes, of course, but like, there's nothing wrong with setting loving, compassionate, um, gentle boundaries in a way that you can be, you know, proud of and know that you're setting your set, your kid up for success for like the long term. Um, and then, oh, she mentions too, like dropping the word picky from the language and instead using this the concept of like, this person's not a picky eater, they're a learning eater or an exploring eater or like giving your tools, your child the tool to say like, I don't care for that yet, but I'm like, but I'm going to keep practicing. Like it's such a different way to frame it for them because right, like they, they give this great example and they, they relate it to reading. It's like, you would never say like your kid's a bad reader, especially in front of their face. But like, we say like they're picky all the time and then they kind of like own that image. They like own it. They're like, yeah, I'm just picky. You're just the way I am. And it's like, no, there's like other things that are available to you. And then in terms of school lunches, they said, you know, don't be afraid to keep exposing them to new things, even if it keeps coming back. Cause again, this concept of um, like exposure, repeated exposure, um, don't ever comment on what comes back. Because if they keep seeing it over and over, they'll likely get used to it. And they might even considering it giving a bite or a lick one day. Just like, don't even worry. I mean, yes, you want to send your kids to school with food that you know that they're going to eat. But like, there's nothing wrong with also sending like some other food that they might not eat just for this, just for the purpose of, of exposing them. And again, if you're worried about like food waste, it doesn't have to be 
a huge portion. Like that's what I would do. I would be like, oh, well, let's see if they'll do this and I'll put this and this will be like a quarter of their lunch. And then you come back and they don't eat it and you're like, oh my God, they starved. Oh, this is terrible. And it's like, why not just like do like a teeny bit and like see what happens. And there are like so many more amazing resources in this book. I can't even tell you like that. Like I just really wanted to take this podcast to be like, this is where I am. So, you know, you're not alone. And this is where I would like to be now that I have my health and like my weight all figured out. Like I'm ready to start transitioning and focusing some mental energy and have the capacity to like put it elsewhere. So I hope you guys like this podcast. Um, I really do. It was a joy reading this book and getting to present this all to you in a way and just kind of know that like we're all on our journey and it all it will all happen for you at some point, like if you choose for it to happen. And like, just again, don't give yourself pressure to like have to implement all of this right away. But like someday your brain will be in a place once you've got your weight all figured out, like your brain will be in a place also to like put some mental energy into this as well. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're the person that can do it all. And maybe you can, and that's totally great too. Cause you actually are the person that can do it all. But if it seems overwhelming, just doable steps. Okay, guys, uh, you are amazing. I hope you enjoyed this. Again, I'm going to put all this information in the show notes so you have it. Uh, I hope you buy this book. It is so good. And I like don't even know these people. Literally, my friend told me about it. Um, and I'm not like getting anything from this or anything. I just, I just want to spread this message because they are, this is just gold, absolute gold. All right. Uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Weight Loss for Busy CRNA Moms. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. And if you like what I shared today, you should also check out weightlossbybrittany.com for even more great weight loss tips, some of my favorite recipes and mindset tools that I use to lose 40 pounds. Once there, you can also book a free consultation with me, Brittany Kolb, your certified life and weight loss coach. (laughs) 